0: Hello and welcome to another episode of On the Corner, the official PitcherList.com podcast. I'm your host, Eric Somolsky, joined by my tall friend, Nick Pollack. Nick, how are you doing?
1: What is happening? You know what? If that isn't mentioned enough. Yes, I am a tall friend. And so are you. <laughs> yes. I, I, we're like this, we're almost the same height.
0: I think so. I think almost. you're I think you got me by like an inch. There's yeah. a couple people when we did like the Tout Wars meetups. It was like you and Paul Sporer, where I was like, oh right. Yeah, they are tall. Yeah, like yeah,
1: we are we are the tall ones, and there's also Jason Collette.
0: Yeah, Jason there. Collette's also very tall. There's a thing yeah. like you like you listen to people on on podcasts, and you don't have a real sense of their you know stature in person. Of course, and so yeah. there were some people you're like, oh yeah, that's I saw Jason Collette over everybody in the whole space, and Paul Spores right, exactly a bright a bright colored human fungo, um, <laughs> beautiful man, great person, very tall and lanky.
1: One of my favorite moments with this is when I met uh, Bailey Freeman, that is Foolish Baseball. He came to my apartment to record a uh, uh, Nick Pollock and Friends right before actually the day of the lockout ending. One of the coolest moments um, in my career. And when I opened the door, he goes, oh, my gosh, you actually are tall. <laughs> <laughs> and Bailey is not the tallest. And it was a very funny moment of that. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, good to see you, Eric. I hope you had a wonderful I'm- week. Good to see um, you.
0: I did. I took my son to his first wedding. Oh, man. Um, he was th- he was there for an hour. And then uh-huh. uh, my parents picked him up and put him to sleep. So that was <laughs> wonderful. <laughs>
1: uh, I remember going to to a wedding where my good friends had their child and there's another child there and some child was crying and all our friends said, not our baby. Yeah. Not our baby.
0: Yeah, there um, were but- a bunch of babies. Some stayed for the whole time, but we just uh, we wanted to, you know, have a little, a little mom and dad time. We'll <laughs> enjoy ourselves at a wedding.
1: It's always fun to be able to do that. Yeah. And today
0: we're going to talk about 31 through 40.
1: We've got more pitchers to talk about. We're, I love this. We're doing this meticulously, going over everybody, uh, just to give you an update very quickly. I have officially internally raised Tyler Glasnow above Zach Gallen. Um, just so you oh. know, I put it closer to where you're saying it um, <coughs> because I kind of I found myself realizing the whole injury conversation that we've been having mm-hmm. and realizing that putting too much of an emphasis on it is not wise. And uh, it's because of, you know, I'm really the, so many guys get hurt. Fine. I'll put him above Zach Gallon, And I think honestly watching playoff Zach Gallant is just reinforcing the notions I've had of him just being kind of weird. It's weird. And we all know that Tyler Glassdown is just filthy and going to earn so many strikeouts and the walks are not as bad as Dylan Cease level of cherry bomb. So Fine. I'm going to be putting him officially at nine, but that's really the only other adjustment. Maybe. Oh wait, there is one more. There is one more. I'm putting Aaron Nola up to 14 at the start of tier three. <laughs> yes. Because, yeah. I'm doing it um, because I actually, this is the, the, the re- real reason I am doing this is because I don't believe he's going to be a Philly. And I'm sorry, Phillies, mm-hmm. but I think this is because of the defense and because of, Honestly, he just hasn't been challenged when it comes to approach. And I do believe that any team that gets him is going to really work with him better in season than I think the Phillies do. Uh, This is just an observation of anyone coming to the Phillies for the most part, save for Zach Wheeler. But honestly, that was more about leaving the Mets than joining the Phillies. And I just don't really have faith in in the Phillies' development at this moment. So I think that Aaron Nola leaving to go somewhere else, it's just safer than all these young guys. And I group all the young guys, like Grayson Rodriguez, Schuble, yeah. Miller, Perez, Ryan, Regans. It just makes more sense.
0: 14 is exactly where I have Nola, so I, I fully support this move. Okay, um,
1: just, just wanted to give you guys those updates. Oh, and supported. Logan Webb is, in fact, at 20 above Cole Regans.
0: Boom. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, I feel like because we're, we're I, I
1: started again to realize like I'm going for more floor and I realized that taking Reagan's above web just does not feel right because of mm-hmm. you will be getting better production from web just as a baseline. There is a farther way to go down with Reagan's and it just makes sense. Even though I absolutely love Cole Reagan's, I just need yeah. to bake that in a little bit more.
0: And I uh, recently backed up our Pablo Lopez discussion because in the Roto world, Staff mock draft. I took him as the ninth starting pitcher off oh, the man, board. Look at you. Um, and we both have him. You have him six now, I believe, Pablo. Oh, I have him I have, at six. Yeah, yeah, I and I have at him seven. at seven. Um, you know, I still see a lot of people with him like in the teens and lower. Um, that's, but that's I, bonkers, I said,
1: that's bananas.
0: But I said bananas. he's I can wait on my ace, and it's going to be Pablo Lopez. There it is. Um, exactly. So, so as Nick mentioned. We're doing 31 through 40 today. Uh, if you go to the top 200 on pitcherlist.com, you'll see obviously that Nick has them ranked in tiers as per usual. So, the beginning of the, the pitchers that we're going to discuss today are a continuation of a tier that started with starting pitcher number 24, uh, Framber Valdez. So, the pitchers who we already discussed who are in this same tier are Framber Valdez. Um, I guess Logan Webb now not in this tier. He's not in this tier anymore. Okay. Yeah, get out of so, here. So, Cramer Valdez, Logan Gilbert, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, Brandon Woodruff, oh, who's <laughs> no longer Brandon Woodruff, yes. who's, who's <laughs> off the list, uh, Shane Boz, and Brian Wu. Yes. Um, so, we're going to have two tiers today. And in honor of the, the World Series, I just want you to give me the two tiers. Are just going to be your your two favorite World Series memories. Um, it could be some something personal, like if you went to a game or whatever, or just uh, you know particular memory of watching a game, or um, even just something you know as a baseball fan. I don't know if you want to use okay. like you know the yeah, old yeah. earthquake or whatever that we weren't mm-hmm. at that World Series, obviously. Um, so we're going to start with number thirty-one, who we hinted at at the end of last episode, because number thirty was his teammate Brian Wu, and I had these two guys reversed. So who is your number 31?
1: So that is Bryce Miller. And to continue on with that tier of tier four, uh, I'm going to label this one David Freeze destroying the Rangers in 2011. Mm. Um, game six. And there are many, um, I think, in our modern era of playoff baseball that are just unbelievable unfathomable games. And uh, to me, one of those is the, the greatest inning of baseball ever with the Jays and the Rangers back in 2015, I believe that was. Uh, if you guys obviously know the Jose Bautista bat flip conclusion to it. But uh, that game six is something else. Twice being down to the last pitch and just uh, not only blowing the lead, but then getting it back and then losing it again. And this is what this tier could feel like. Uh, the difference between Tier 4 and Tier 5, Tier 5 are more of the safer, like, fine, but they don't mm-hmm. carry that SP1 potential. And these are the last of the, okay, these could do those things, but it's very risky. So you could be on the verge of winning the World Series, or you might just lose it to some guy named Favid D's. Um So Bryce Miller leads that. And what's interesting, Bryce Miller has... An amazing forcing where we know this really good vertical break, really good uh, VAA on it. The question is, of course, how is the slider? How's the the cutter going to develop? And I really do want to distinguish that there is a slider and a cutter. I'm looking at, of course, our uh, wonderful PLV app that has a pitch type card. This is one specifically just for individual pitches. If you actually look up Bryce Miller's 2023 slider, you will see two distinct movement profiles. One of his cutter and one of his slider. So. I think that we've seen games of Bryce Miller actually locating those. They were brilliant down and glove side consistency. He got the four seamer upstairs. That's where you see that 10 strikeout five inning game uh, that Bryce uh, Miller had against the Angels on October. Sorry, on August 6th. And then you have other games where he just can't buy a strike effectively. So when I compare him in, in Brian Wu, I think Wu is a little bit more consistent at the moment with those secondaries and still with an amazing uh upside with his four seamer. You might be surprised to hear that the what was known as like the greatest four seamer in baseball came down a little bit to a fifteen point five percent um swing strike rate. However, its PLV is five point five. That is that average is a quality pitch. That is the definition of quality pitch is five point five, um, which is a fifty eight percent actually, which is 99th percentile as well. So in other words, his four seamer is incredible for Bryce Miller. It's just about those secondaries coming through. I am such a believer in ha- having such a good force uh, for Seamer Foundation. It's just about, okay, well, you need something else here, please. Mm-hmm. And I hope you'll get it. So I like Bryce Miller, slightly more favorable of Brian Wu. But honestly, I'd be super happy to get both of them. And I think they're going like 12th round or something as they did in ours. And oh boy,
0: yeah.
1: I will be feasting on those two guys.
0: It is a little, a little wild. Um, Yeah, I think, I think StatCast has it him down as a slider and a sweeper. Obviously, you just reclassify right, those yes. slider and, yet, and cutter. Sort of for what's,
1: what's weird yeah. for us is this past year, we didn't have sweeper as a secondary one. I mm-hmm. didn't know how much it would be pushed out. And now we've seen that there is more separation between the two. So 2024 on the Pitchless Player pages, we will have sweeper and slider separate. And that's why we have it combined right now. But hey, I really see it as a cutter and a slider, but that's just yeah.
0: And, and, it's, and honestly, it doesn't really matter. It just mm-hmm. matters in identifying what they do, right? The, the cutter... Um, that StatCast calls a slider was the one that is the swinging strike pitch had a 15.2% swing strike rate in the second half of the season the slider which StatCast calls a sweeper is more of like a ground ball inducing pitch does not get a lot of a lot of swinging strikes Um, interestingly for, for me I'm curious in his his sinker introduction right he introduced the sinker as the year went on to kind of uh, go away from being seventy percent four seam like he was, you yeah. know, early on. Um, I do think that it is, it's, it's more of a pitch that rounds out the arsenal rather than is in in um, a weapon in and of itself. Um, it's not going to get a lot of swings and misses, but if it if it works against righties and induces some you know soft ground balls and soft contact and allows the four seam to play up, then that's what we've been talking about a bunch of like. Not every pitch needs to be an ace in and of itself. It needs to help, you know, the bread and butter pitches to be more successful. Um, and listen, even at the end of the season, like he was getting a lot of swings and misses on his changeup in the last few months and starting to throw it a little bit more. It got hit hard. So it's just like there, there are pieces of the puzzle here where you're like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. And you're seeing a young pitcher who if he can develop some of those pieces, you're going from. Maybe he has no consistent secondary to like maybe he has two consistent secondaries next year. Like there's a lot of of range there, which which I find interesting with, with Bryce right.
1: Miller. Yeah, I, I hope it works out. I mean, again, I think Bryce Miller's foundation with that fastball is just too good. And uh you have to assume some sort of development from here. So mm-hmm. thirty one okay. is Bryce Miller above a guy who does does not have a good four seamer. Yes. And which
0: I don't it's so hard we get to out what to make of it. Before we get to his name, I'm cur- you have him 32, which is totally understandable. I have this player we're about to talk about 34. I get out of here. Fir- you
1: have him lower than I do.
0: I do, and at first, everyone blush- has a higher up, man. So this I, is guys, again, I first- this is why when Eric I-
1: Simolski is the the new host of OTC guys. When like, I first started yes.
0: the rankings, I promise you, I, I had him in the high in like the low 20s, like 22, 23, 24, whatever, because this is a pitcher who had a Two eighty-three ERA. He had a one oh four WHIP. Um, he had a five sixteen average PLV, which is exactly the same as Bobby Miller. Um, made a lot of good quality pitches. The you know the six point six percent walk rate, the three seventy nine X ERA, and three seventy six Sierra showed us that yes, the two eighty three ERA was a little bit inflated, but maybe not a total mess. And he's a young pitcher who was on the everybody's breakout list and then broke out. And so I was yeah. thinking, oh, there's more growth. Um, and we'll talk about the reasons why you and I are not sold on that. But at first blush, I thought I'd have Kyle Bradish a lot higher than where we both seem to have it.
1: Yeah. So what's funny about this, I, I've rambled about it a lot, but he was on breakout lists because... People liked the, the slider, and the problem was that, well, the fastball's still not good. This four-seamer is not a pitch that you want to feature heavily. It has too much cut action. It allows a ton of terrible contact and play. It does not miss bats. It's just the whole thing is just not good. And entering the season, there was no indication that Bradish was going to change that. And it didn't really work out at first. If you drafted Kyle Bradish, you likely let him go. Um, after he wasn't really very in- inspiring, I uh, just started the year. Sure he had uh six innings of shut up ball, but then it was seven and runs and three and runs and three and runs. And, um, after some solid starts and he had a four and run game in five innings and just felt by the end of May, like, what are we doing here? Um, and he even one good game. And then even the start of June, June 3rd is three and runs and four innings and eight base runners. And it just felt, why are we still sticking with this? And it wasn't until June 8th that we actually started to see some life in uh, in Braddish as he moved away from that sinker. And that's why I always gets weirded out by like the breakout lists and feeling like they were right. Well, in my view, you know, anytime I'm saying like, hey, cool, I'm really in on this guy and it worked out or something. Um, I need to be honest with, well, is it because of what I was suggesting <laughs> or is it because of something else yes. that just randomly appeared or not that I didn't expect? And, you know, right. Yeah, we don't
0: want to be like, oh, I got that right. Like, check. Like, yeah, Did you get it right because of what you thought? Or did right. you get it right because, you know, there are good things that the pitcher did, but they were different than what we were expecting to have happen. And the other difficult part
1: is, here we are, you know, it's after this June 3rd start, and Braddish has a 413 ERA to 135 whip with a 20% K rate. Um, And I really do want to say to everyone, and like, my own analysis then was like, yeah, do not hold on to Kyle Braddish. It just does not look like it's any different. This is he's still leaning too heavily on this four seamer. And if he leans heavily on the slider, great. But that's just one real pitch, maybe the curveball. But I just was too weird out by it at that point. And if you kept the faith, you kept the faith. And that's awesome. Um, But really, this was Kyle Bradish being phenomenal for four months and terrible for two or really detrimental and preventing you from getting other exciting things that happened on the wire. So what happened is he leaned away from the four-seamer. Essentially, its balls in play were fewer, which is a huge deal. The slider became a major thing. The curveball was a little bit more consistent. It's kind of weird. It had like a high strike rate for the year, but I feel as if start to start, he had it or he didn't, um, which is very annoying. And at the end of the day with Kyle Brash, simply put, it's an elite slider. It is a 99th percentile slider, 5.7 PLV, which is just crazy good. And nothing else Four seamer. Mm-hmm. We don't like sinker. We don't like curveball is good. It is above average, but it's not, I don't really see this as a Cleveland guardians guy. And maybe I should, maybe I'm not giving that curveball enough credit. Maybe we're going to see a 70% bradish or 65% of sliders and curveballs and then sinkers and four seamers are the rest. And we can rely on those being called strike pitches and not really balls in play. Um, I have him at 32 because I'm recognizing yeah he could still be very very excellent and this could be worthwhile I'm not saying he's just do not draft him but I also don't think that the path to him being SP1 is that clear as the thing we talked about last time it's very rare for us to see guys who do not have a fastball we like to excel consistently so Bradish, I'm sorry you're just not the guy I'm gonna go for
0: yeah I I'm. I mean, obviously, I'm in the same boat as you, having him down at, at 34. I will say that I he is a um, he is a guy who I keep thinking I might move up, um, and so he is a pitcher who I'll be watching really intently in spring training because there are some things that I see with him that I think could lead to more consistency. So, if people are wondering the things that I'm looking for with Bradish, um, I do like the curveball he had identical usage of it in the first half and in the second half. Um, So I I would like to see him actually use that pitch more than 17% of the time because it gets really good swing strike rate numbers. Um, It does not give up barrels. It gave up no barrels in the first half of the season and 2.6% barrel rate in the second half of the season. Um, You know, if you look at on the, on the, the pitcher list metrics, right? It has a 92nd percentile swinging strike rate. It has a 95th percentile um, O swing, 87th percentile average 74th percentile babib. Like, you know, you can go down through all of it. It doesn't get hit hard. It gets a lot of swings and misses. Um, I'd like to see him use that more. And then the, the other thing that interests me is the changeup. He only, he used it a little bit more in the second half of the year, pushing up to 10% of the time. And it, Performed a lot better. And if you look at the movement profile of that changeup, I think it performed better because it's a hard changeup with a short like dive away. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of looks like it could be like the sinker out of the hand. Right. And the fact that he started throwing the sinker way more in the second half of the year, and then the changeup started to perform better in the second half of the year. You start to squint and see like mm. a pitch mix of that if he's leaning on the slider and the curve and is using the sinker and changeup to kind of just create some confusion and soft contact because their movement profiles are similar now i'm thinking okay so now he's covering for that really bad four seam so if it's two really good pitches and then other stuff that can induce soft contact now i'm thinking okay this is a pitcher i can put in the in the 20s you know this is a guy i can put around the like i don't know joe musgroves of the world maybe a little bit lower um because you're not looking at like oh he's an ace but maybe he's a really good sp2 on your fantasy team and that has a lot of value
1: yeah i want to buy into that new change up a little bit but i can't really it's um i don't know i i really don't think that this change up in is the game changer for uh for kyle bradish Sure. Uh, I mean, he barely uses it, even in that nice stretch that we've been talking about from June uh, June 4th onward. Um, just still 8% usage. Uh, strike mm-hmm. rates are all over the place with it. Just a 55% strike rate in that time. Even as it got better by the end, it still was not. Uh, I think he only had a, f- a few games above a 5 PLV. Um, not really that kind of pitch, that I think, is that for, for Bradish. It really, as you mentioned, it comes down to the curveball being more than 17% usage. Um, and maybe that is the thing that they do. Maybe it is yeah. saying, look, like let's take our 40% fastballs and bring them down to 30%, 35%. Um, that could be it. I just yeah. kind of feel weirded out leaning so heavily on a slider that clearly is at its best. It could plateau at its best. Um, but that is it. And that just feels a little weird to me.
0: Just important to have these things to look for as we get into spring training. So we're not just seeing results. Um next up is the pitcher who's probably the hardest or the most uh the most argumentative pitcher in terms of where we (laughs) rank him. Um and we're gonna get to that guy after the break. All right. So pitcher number thirty three for Nick is pitcher number twenty five for me. Um he's gonna be a hot button ranking topic of the offseason. Nick, who's your 33rd starting pitcher?
1: You know, it's Blake Snell. And it's pretty funny because I've been being the drum of Blake Snell deserving of Cy Young. All of this saying, look, his 225 E-rate this year and 32% K-rate and 180 180 innings, all of this. It's by design of how he approaches batters. And sure, you can look at the 13% walk rate, which then would be the 119 whip. But also recognize that he only had a 5.8 hit per nine. And hit the, it, Blake Snell's ability to not give in and force batters to swing at pitches that they don't want to swing at um, is why he has that low hip per nine. And I believe that he was in the rhythm to deserve the Cy Young and deserve a lot of the success he had this year. That said, the expectation for a man in rhythm to stay in rhythm, especially for someone with a long history of not being in rhythm. I mean, what's the the old tale of Blake Snell that we would say every single year he's only good in the second half or he's going to be bad at first and then get into the rhythm and be really good? Well, that was what it was again this year. I mean, it didn't... uh, It wasn't broken. I mean, essentially, he had 600 runs on uh, May 19th and was looking, oh boy, not Snell again. This is it. This is too much. And then he just went off in absolutely bonkerville. So I... I I struggle with this because do I think that Blake Snell is going to be necessarily bad for you next year? No. Do I think that Blake Snell is going to be a headache? It's possible. He could be a hipster. Mm. And he, this is also the first year we've seen above 130 innings since his Cy Young year of 2018. You throw all of that together in a contract year for Blake Snell, it makes... Sense that, yeah, he's not going to be a consistent guy the entire season. Mm -hmm. And I found myself constantly pushing him down for these others. I felt like, yeah, I'm going to start these guys every five days and expect dominance. While with Snell, I mean, he had this 24% swing strike with curveball, but it was only a 55% strike rate. His slider fell down to a 45% strike rate. He started getting it a little bit better by the end, but oh boy, was it a struggle to find how not to bounce that pitch. And the pitch that actually saved him was a changeup. I remember early in the year, I knew that Snell was not trying to go for changeups. He just didn't have his curveball and his slider and he needed the changeup to to get through games. And it was as good as we've ever seen it. 66% strike rate, 38% CSW. That really, if you want to say anything about the year, was the savior. The pitch I've been saying, please go away for ages. And he was better with it. Um, But just keep in mind, his four-seamer was a 60% strike rate with an 8% swinging strike rate? What? That's not That's not good. <laughs> you know, in 2018-2019, that was a pitch that was near 13%, if not 15%, and it's fallen off in this way. Now, I, I think it does have to... Uh, there is a product of strike rate on that. Where he's putting it is not really the Blake's now blueprint in time. It's not really upper third like it used to be. It's very much a shotgun blast. So... Seeing Blake Snell of the Blake Snell blueprint have a high location that's 18th percentile on four seamers is very strange and will be something he needs to focus on. But I think that's just kind of an innate situation with him. Um, but long story short, he didn't give in. He really still hammered in on curveballs and sliders and change ups and did not go in the zone. And eventually guys just gave in to him um, slider curveball and four seamer are all sub 10th percentile in zone rates. Mm hmm. I uh, I wonder how long he can actually do that and be just enough towing the line to still be effective. So it's too much of a fragile state for me to go and chase him inside the top thirty.
0: I hear you. I I put him I put him twenty five uh, right before um, Cole Ragans. I I feel like that to me. Put they're ahead of
1: Cole Ragans. I I feel you. like
0: to me they're similar. No. Um, in terms of. Like, and I'm not just like because they're lefties, uh, but just I think there's the there's thing. there's a risk of there's a there's a risk baked into both of them. There's flashes of elite swing and missability in both of them. Um, there's the potential fantasy ace to potential like SP three or four because of you know I don't know whip or contact or you know um, Reagan's not having a long enough track record whatever you want to say I feel like there's moderate risk to to both I'll push back a little bit on the Blake Snell early season issues because I really think that's just the last two years he has a 337 career ERA in April in 2019 he had a 254 ERA in April and in 2018 he had a 252 ERA in April last year was was poor Um, so it was 2021 and this, that, yeah, twenty 2020, twenty yeah 2021 and, and 2023 were, he didn't pitch in April, I guess, because he didn't pitch in April in 2022. Right, but also in 2021,
1: so, he also needed some time to get there. And then he did. I think it was yes. like in July. And then in 2022, it was the same right. kind of Right, in 2022, story. it was a
0: 480 ERA in May, which was his um, first month because he didn't pitch in April. Um, so, yeah, okay, I, I get that. Um, to me, it's just two. It's back-to-back years of a, a 15.7, 15.8 swing strike rate overall. Yeah. Uh, he made some tweaks to the curveball this year in terms of the movement profile that you know helped it get a huge jump in swing strike rate. We already talked about that changeup, which you know he leaned on way more this year, and I think um, was a really solid pitch for him that gives him you know multiple ways to attack hitters. Um, another guy where we'll see where he ends up, um, and that team context in in free agency will determine a little bit of the value for sure. Um, but I I just got to a point where I was where I thought I can't push him down that far, um, and considering he went tenth, starting pitcher off the board um, in our Roto World family and friends mock draft. Um, There's no way we're getting
1: him. (laughs) I think that
0: me at 25 uh, is going to come off to a lot of people like I'm super low. And I think you're going to come off to people like you're incredibly low. And I think it's just baking. Like, I'm not paying for this career career year. I'm baking in some risk, but I'm acknowledging he is a very talented pitcher. And that's where I felt like was a good spot for him.
1: Yeah, there's just too much of a focus on the the stretch. And to me, there's a pattern of it with him. Mm -hmm. Like, how he got his dominance, I mean, I'm looking at this right now, it's 23 games uh, since uh, since May 20th, right, to end the year from Blake Snell. I mean, it's ridiculous. It was it a was 120 ERA in 135 innings, which is unreal. 107 whip and a 34% K rate, and he did that with a 13% walk rate. He let off 72 hits in 135 innings in that time. The same amount of walks as he did hits, which absolutely bananas. I mean, I I can't say anything else about it. It's absurd. And that just isn't going to stick, right? There's just no way this sticks. This is the most ridiculous rhythm I've ever seen Blake Snell. And we know that won't be around 92% left on base rate in that time Um, as well. 7.5% homer five ball rate, 243 Babbitt, all of that. ICR was very good. It wasn't like twenty five percent good. It was thirty five percent that time. Um, it, it's just a lot of it just goes yeah, fifty nine percent strike rate. I uh, that this isn't going to be replicated and it's going to be way different. So there's just so much haze with this and a track record of inconsistency. The the, the idea that Blake Snell is now consistent for another season in a row just hasn't happened it just hasn't and i don't i don't feel like we're going to get into a point of just feeling like no this is my ace this is it so I if, I if i have those feelings i push them down more so than i feel like the ultimate value is because of the mental state they put you in and um that's why i'm doing with snow
0: i i think that's totally fair um you've got a little mini i guess cy young contender tier here oh yeah it was bradish uh,
1: snell and this guy yeah because
0: number thirty-four. Number thirty four was right.
1: who? Justin Steele. Um, Justin Steele. I'm sorry, Eric. That's okay. And with Steele's, Steele's very interesting because I was not. This is one I absolutely got wrong entering this season. I I remember uh, even bonding with Eno about it, being like, "We, I don't like Justin Steele." It's like, I don't like Steele either. It's just a good slide. I'm like, right. And the fastball's always been kind of weird to me. And. I was really impressed by Justin Steele's command in the first half. He was really able to execute the seven. That is as a lefty where you should be throwing your four seamers. You should throw them upstairs and also inside to uh, Right-handers which essentially makes a seven around the strike zone plot if you're looking at the catcher. And the slider wasn't always great. The slider actually, it, its command I think got worse this entire year. But then the fastball did too. I also kind of think that Justin Steele's four seamer is more of a cutter than it is a four seamer. And that kind of explains, I think, a decent amount of it to me, as I wouldn't really classify this four-seamer as an overpowering pitch. It is an 11% swing strike rate. It is a high strike rate. It's 70%, and it has an 84th percentile ICR. That is a 38% rate. And that to me is how Justin Steele gets his outs. Like That's how he functions. Um, So In in that way, I mean, yes, sure, I can understand why he limits home runs. It was 0.73 this past year, 0.61 in 2022. That's a good homer per nine, and that means that you're going to limit guys. uh, You're going to have a weird gap between your ERA and whip. 306 does not really speak to a 117 whip, but if they're not hitting home runs, then you're going to keep off the the runs, of course, in a a big way. An 8.7 hit per nine for this is really high. Uh, And I think, again, it's because that four seamer is it's good, but it's not a a big whiff pitch. And the slider was a 16 percent swing strike rate, not like a 20, 25 percent. And then I'm like, what else is there? You know, it's it's 25 percent, 25 percent strike rate. And I, I also do want to mention steel was way better before the first the last like six weeks of the year. And maybe I'm putting too much weight on that degradation that happened and the numbers would be better and. Be like Nick, you'd be more in on him if X, Y, and Z. That's very fair. I kind of felt as if Steele was pitching above his head, and then he was pitching below. And, you know, and then he was fatigued by the end, and it was all came out kind of in a big way. That likely won't be what it is replicated. But I think honestly, going sixteen and five elevates his value from last year, which I don't think should be expected again as well. And it's just not that kind of arsenal to me that demands excellence. You know, I think of other guys that are, um, you know, in this kind of mold. Maybe, but it's like Max Free, but Max Free has more options than Steele does, and I think I believe in his command a little bit more. You look at Logan Webb, I believe in his command more. Framber Valdez, I think has more options. I mean, I looked at all the other guys. I'm like, yeah, Justin Steele's fine, but he's not. Uh, everyone's like, no, now he's had this great year. Now he's just going to develop more. I'm like, but where? Yeah. He's a two pitch guy, a four seamer and slider, with neither one at a twenty percent swing striker or a dominant overall. One of the best ones in the game pitches. It's just not. Um, it's PLV on both the on the on the four seamer is just four ninety two. The slider is a higher one at five point four, and maybe I'm not giving that one enough credit. But I remember watching these games, and it's just not like, it's just not that pitch to me. So I'm going to be I- out on Justin Steele.
0: I'm with you. I have him 36, and I could easily see myself dropping him out of the top 40. Um, And to me, it's just—I think that you just need to identify if you have a a a foundational belief in skill, like what determines a skill set in a particular thing, like whether it's hitting, pitching, you know, fielding, whatever. I think that sometimes you just have to understand that a a player doesn't match something that you have identified as being a key. determiner of success and for me i agree with you and like it's just two pitches and it's not just two pitches like he throws other pitches that aren't um, no no
1: it's four percent aren't like successful it's that
0: in the second (laughs) half of the year he threw his fastball and slider a combined 97 percent of the time it's literally just two pitches um and I, i just i don't think that gives somebody enough margin for error it's why i you know, when Spencer Strider broke into the rotation last year, I traded him away in some redraft leagues thinking, okay, I'll sell high on on what started right. out really good because he doesn't have a third pitch. Obviously, that didn't work out for me, but I, I, I just don't believe that Justin Steele is in that same conversation. Those two pitches yeah. aren't the quality of Spencer Strider's two pitches, and Strider also throws a change up way more than 2% yeah. of the time. So he even is more of a three-pitch pitcher than, right. than Steele. Um, and i I do just think like you know he had a 488 defense independent era in the second half of the year um the pitchers the pitches just themselves don't jump out to me as I know he gets decent swing strike rates on it not tremendous decent I, I just it's not a profile I love um I won't I'm not gonna avoid him if he were to fall in a draft I, I have no problem with him on my team because I think he is a fine pitcher. I just don't see an upside to be drafting him as my SP two, and really, if like he was my SP three, I'd be like, eh, maybe I'm. Okay. I guess I'm okay in a fifteen team league. Obviously, you're more okay with it, um, right. but I, I just think there are guys we're going to talk about later um, who I guess I just think maybe I'll I'll leap in front of him um, because I, I don't I don't still trust it. I don't love it. Um, yeah,
1: he, it, it, when you realize that his four seamers a cutter, I mean, it really is. Um, when it comes to uh, induced vertical break and arm side break, I mean, these are like sub tenth percentiles um, for four seamers. And when I see that, it's like, yeah, this is a cutter. <laughs> yeah, I mean that—that's what it is. it's not. This isn't like a cut fastball. I'm I'm pretty surprised that um, it's not classified officially as a cutter. Um, so that does make sense as to why. Steel is effective against right-handers because he does like to jam those inside like mm-hmm. all the time. Um, and you can see the O-Swing on it is 44%, which is really good for a force team. But then you think like, oh, yeah, right, as a cutter to it, this is against the right-handers. Like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I, I I I buy into that. So then when you look at left-handers, it's like, are they, like, how does he approach that, right? Because if it's a cutter to them, and then you don't want to throw too much in the zone because then it goes back towards the barrel, all that kind of stuff. O-Swing is down on it, but uh, he still stays away effectively with it. I mean, it still works, but the ICR is terrible against lefties. 56%. 56% is so bad <laughs> for a four-seamer or really a cutter or any pitch. ICR, you if you, anytime you see it above like 40%, you're like, eh. Anytime over 45%, you're like, oh, no. 56 is so bad. 16% barrel rate. Uh, for batters against uh, Justin Steele's fastball, so the slider better be the, like the greatest thing ever against them, and it's good. It's not like the filthiest slider, only a nineteen percent swing strike Not like the greatest. So yeah, I uh, he's good against righties, but that cutter inside, that that that's that's Justin Steele to me.
0: All right, so I need your help with your starting pitcher thirty-five, who I had. 24th initially, and now I have 42nd. Um, and I kind of just don't really know what to make of Kodai Senga. So talk to me about your number 35, Kodai Senga.
1: Yeah. Kodai Senga had an amazing run, 202 strikeouts, and there are times I just say, you know what, this guy got a ton of strikeouts, and he's probably gonna get more of them, and fine, I get it. Like we need to we need to have guys like that inside the top 40. But the problem with Kodai Senga is The fork ball is not a reliable pitch. We call it a splitter. It's the ghost fork, whatever you want. It is a 50 to 55% at most strike pitch. And that is his put-away offering. That's how you get his strikeouts. But to get there, it's a four-seamer cutter and slider. And really, the four-seamer, I don't think, is a good four-seamer, despite it being 95, 96, sometimes in the upper 90s, um, that it can hit. The slider is not a consistent strike pitch. This is not a whiff pitch either. This is really just like he's trying to get a good slider for strikes and he can't really do that, which leaves the cutter. And Kodai Senga's cutter is a 71% strike pitch. It is the way that he gets deep into counts all the time. And when he does not have the splitter working, he needs that cutter to get his outs for him. I don't know how much I like it. And that's the issue that I have is... I think a belief in Senga is a belief in this cutter being an overall amazing offering. And I would not call this that. It's a really good strike offering. It's not that pitch to think, oh man, when I think of the best pitches in the game, it's like this cutter. So that leaves like not much for me to lean on with Senga. His hip or nine was terrible for the year, by the way. It was, uh, well, I'm sorry. It was amazing for the year and should not be replicated. 95th percentile, 6.8 hip or nine. What? Uh, 11% walk rate which is why you have the 122 whip but we saw early in the year like how it does not work at all and the whip is just so damaging and he went on a really good stretch but Senga to me is not the guy that we saw on the stretch he's still kind of the middle of the two and if not a little bit more on the uh, the whip still being above 120 like 125 to 130 I'm a little bit worried about it so I see a possible hips or headache inducing pitcher stifling the entire roster I see a Dylan Cease kind of situation as well where mm-hmm. the uh there's so much dependent on that forkball getting those outs. Uh, sorry, those getting those strikeouts and the cutter surviving and not getting hit hard. And I just don't really buy that. So I'm kind of out on Senga.
0: I'm with you. I mean, that's why I wound up with him, you know, outside of 40 right now. And I might jump him back up into the late 30s, but I, I do think it's he has a lot of pitches, unlike you know Justin Steele, but it's an over-reliance on one don't really love any of the others if you look at his like month by month stats which i like to do on alex chamberlain's pitch leaderboard it's like each month there's a different secondary pitch which has a good stretch alongside of that splitter Mm. um and it just it changes it's just not it's not consistent you know the cutter you know has a, a great month in august and a terrible month in september um you know you've got a slider which has a bad month of may and then a really good month of june and so i am open to the possibility which i think we need to you know openly discuss that like this is a pitcher who's coming over to a new league in a new country in his first season and there's a very good chance that that comfort both on and off the field will lead to better results next year um and maybe, you know, we'll be too low on him because of that. And maybe that's a reason to rank him higher if you think of, quote unquote, his upside. Right. Um, and maybe that's why I move him into the late 30s. But I just think there's a lot of risk in in the repertoire as well.
1: Yeah, it's just uh, there's I, there isn't a pitch that I'm like, oh, cool. You throw that. That should be a good result. Like, that's mm-hmm. the problem is I want to say it's the cutter and it did get some. But is it really that good? I don't know. It's a twenty-eight. CSW. It's just it's fine. It does its job really well, but like it's nothing is truly elite to me here. And that worries me.
0: He he confuses me almost as much as your starting pitcher 36, who I currently don't have ranked inside my top forty five, which is as far as I've gone. Wow. So so
1: Kodai Senga surprises you more than this next guy. And you're wondering who this next guy is. Well, we'll tell you after this break.
0: So who is this mystery number thirty six for you?
1: That is Tristan McKenzie, and the way I see it is how we thought of Tristan McKenzie entering this year should be how we treat Tristan McKenzie now. And I actually found something that surprised me about him. That I didn't realize uh, in previous years the the number one pitcher in baseball in induced vertical break on their four seamer is Tristan McKenzie, tied with Nick Pavetta for the last two years. Can you believe that? And it makes all the sense in the world to me because I've treated Tristan McKenzie as a guy who just does not know where his four seamer is going. I mean, it just does not, he does not spot it well, mm-hmm. but he's gotten away with it. Like a 203 at batting average allowed in 2022, right? I'm going to, when I talk about McKenzie, by the way, barely going to talk about this past year. Throw that out completely, guys. Sure. It was a lost year for him. So, what on earth? Earth, and I realized, wait, he does not locate well. Uh, he has a 50% high location. And I think that could be far better. So I, I I see Tristan McKenzie and I think, yeah, there is a lot to to build upon here with that four seamer. And a curveball back in the day, as in 2022, this was a 23% swing strike rate pitch. Mm-hmm. 37% CSW. He kept that thing down a ton, right? So a 75% low location is stellar. And the slider, yeah, okay, the slider needs work. The slider is one of those I hope it's there today pitches. It drives me insane watching that. What I see here from Tristan McKenzie is a four-seamer that if he continues to improve a little bit um, on getting it upstairs, and honestly, as he gains more muscle mass, he should. That's what getting stronger with your lower half means as a pitcher is stability, allowing you to be consistent in your delivery. And for someone like Tristan McKenzie, whose nickname is Sticks, you can imagine how he could quickly benefit from something like that in an offseason. So I was talking about entering this year and then we just never saw him because of injury. So to me, thinking about elite four seamers and potential and all of that stuff. Well, yeah, here's McKenzie with Sonny Gray, Tanner Bybee, Gavin Williams. Sorry to spoiler alert, but you guys already knew. Uh, And it's yeah, I see Tristan McKenzie already having an elite breaking ball in there. Plus a four seamer with incredible induced vertical break. That, that could get better. I see how that would improve. And that's kind of exciting. So I have Tristan McKenzie slightly higher than the others.
0: I get that. My concerns are definitely within the frame um in his ability to hold up to a full season. I know he did mm, yeah. last year, yep. not this past year. Um and again, maybe we, you know, like when Carlos Rodon came back and had worked extensively on his lower body in the offseason and looked different and then had a good healthy year like we might see that in the spring from McKenzie now, obviously sure. he's not going to have Carlos Rodon's lower body but you know just a better one than he a stronger one than he currently does um, and yeah. then my concern was the inconsistencies of the breaking balls I probably would have had him somewhere in my 40s um, and maybe because it's a little recency bias because he didn't pitch this year that I'm not really remembering his ceiling as much as I should be so he's a guy I'll, I'll go back um, and look at, but I have um, him lower than your number thirty-seven, who I have as my number thirty-seven, um, Sonny Gray, who's somebody who I could, I when I was talking about bumping Justin Steele down, I like I'm in my head right now moving Justin Steele below Sonny Gray. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just think Sonny Gray continues to be an underrated pitcher.
1: Yeah, I, I understand that. Um, just to, by the way, put a seal on Tristan McKenzie. I actually. I, you know, talking about him right now, I don't think I'm making enough risk about him having a Terry strain and then a UCL strain. Um, that is what McKenzie came back from. Uh, and that in mind should be hey, like that's not just gone uh, completely. And like Gavin Williams, for example, or Tander Bybee, like those guys don't have that ding against them. Um, I should probably mm-hmm. have McKenzie underneath and probably actually in, in tier six because of that risk. So, I'm inclined to go with you there uh, on McKenzie down to about 47 um, because of those injuries. So I just want to get that out of the way. Sonny Gray, uh, as he smiles, Eric is smiling as, as bright of a smile as I've seen him on this
0: podcast. Uh, <laughs> I, just love, I love when our, our two brains together give us some sort of the, common middle ground.
1: There it is. Uh, with Sonny Gray... Um, 279 ERA, 115 WHIP, 24% K I was super happy to get him in in Tower Wars, and I felt like he was undervalued a ton because he came off of a season 119 innings of 100, of a 113 WHIP. Thought he could just kind of do that again, and he did. He's pretty much the same guy from 2022. Don't look at the 30 points of ERA gap. Like that's silly to do. Why would you do that? Uh, that is like two earned runs or like one bad game, and that's it. It's completely the same again. So. When it comes to the pitch mix of Sonny Gray, it is just so annoying. He is so, he is such an annoying starting pitcher, and I can't say anything else more than that, really. of like, I don't know what he's going to throw on a given day. One day he's going to have a slider, one day he's going to have his curveball. He actually had his curveball for the first month or two, and then it became more of the slider as the season went on. Some days he had his cutter and his four-seamer working, some days it was sinker four-seamer. I see Sonny Gray as someone who uh, just had a career year um, 184 innings 279 ERA I uh, really since 2019 hasn't been like that in 2019 we all know the spin rate stuff and it's kind of weird to look at 2019 seasons at this point just because we don't really know how to deal with it <laughs> um, and with for Sonny Gray it's he's always figuring it out every season that's the thing to me that just bothers me immensely mm-hmm. is watching him start to start. It's this is here. Oh wait, no. Now it's gone. Now it's here. Well, okay. Hold on. This one. It's over here. And I'm in the beginning of the year. He was killing it, and just everything was fine. He was like the best thing ever. Slowed down a little bit as it went on. Um, I think there's going to be more of that this year. It's a 0.39 homer per night right now. That's not going to stick around for some degree. That was what it was in 2023. Um, it's why um the the X 5 which I don't really like shouting. Um, is 361, but seeing a massive gap between that, you're just like, oh, okay, cool. That's because of home run rates. You should never assume that pitchers are just going to regress to league average home run rates. That's not how it works. Um, he, sh- you know, I would say probably the real x fit for Sonny Gray would be like 33 then, um, because yeah, he had a skill of preventing them. Still, I just I, I I see too volatile of a pitcher here. I struggled immensely to put him in tier five or tier four because can Sonny Gray really be? That elite SP one when he's never had a hip per nine under seven point five. Oh, actually hasn't since 2020 under 7.5. His whip has always been an issue. It's one 1.5, five, one five, which kind of seems like, yeah, that's normal. That's sunny gray. His seven point three percent walk rate this year was the lowest that I've seen. I uh, I don't know. Yeah. See, this know. is this
0: is where you and I differ with the with the rankings in the sense of like I I will break up a tier of potential upside aces with somebody who I just feel rock solid confidence in their floor. Um, And for me, like I just trust that. I think that Sonny Gray is a good pitcher. I know that nothing, maybe things don't jump out as like elite and I know they're inconsistent, but I, I don't think there's really a, bad pitch in his arsenal there are some ones that are better than others there's nothing that's bad and so every game i think he's able to identify a, an approach and a strategy to minimize damage um, or to just you know create fantasy goodness for us and so yeah. when i'm getting into like the late you know 30s sometimes it's just like i, I just trust this guy's gonna be good um right. and it might he might not be an ace uh, but he's going to be good. And I, I like the change he made to the slider. He was throwing at 83.3 uh, miles per hour, 83.6 in the first couple of months. It was up to like 85, 84.8 um, in the last few months of the season. Had a 22.8% swing strike rate on that pitch for the year. So like it had a 0. 0.07 defense independent ERA. Like that that's a pretty elite offering. Um, to add to a, an arsenal of other like solid pitches, um, so I don't think it's a pick where you go, oh man, I might be getting an SP one out of this. Um, and I know like that's kind of your thought on the two guys after him to round out this tier. Um, but but I think that I would take him over them just because I feel like I know what I'm, I know what I'm getting, and oh, I kind right. there's of there's like more that stability
1: sometimes. with Sonny Gray than Bybee and Williams, which yeah. is why I have Gray above them. Yes. Uh, I mean, as of right now, it's like Sonny Gray has moved up to 35 because of no Woodruff, and now McKenzie is going underneath. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, I I completely understand you with like, hey, I know I'm going to get production here. And that's really the goal of this tier is I'm trying to rank guys in tier four that I don't feel like I'm dropping the entire year. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really the goal and why it's tier four as it is and really gets to tier six of like, okay, I might be dropping these guys. Right. Uh, Yeah. So so if Sonny's fine, let's round out. yeah, yeah, so just the last last closing thought there. I don't disagree with what you're saying with Sonny Gray. I think there's a little bit of an illusion happening, though, with his skill set and how close he is to actually being frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen that before from him, and I'm not totally sold that he's away from it with the inconsistencies of his arsenal. That's fair. all I'm getting at. Um, That's fair. Yeah, let's round out with two uh, two wonderful Guardians pages. Yeah, huh?
0: put them together. for for us Uh, just so people know in the rankings it is Tanner Bybee 38 and Gavin Williams 39 Um, is it kind of a coin flip or do you actually like really prefer Bybee to Williams well yeah
1: they're they're different they're way different Tanner Bybee at moments has showcased that hey I want to stay Verdi and I want to go upstairs with my four seamer and he has a 77 percentile on high lock that's cool and it's returned a 9 percent swing strike rate (laughs) and that's not fun to me um, I also watched games with his slider that really did change a bit as it went on and it improved. Still, overall, was just a 16% swing strike rate. Like, I don't I don't like that. I don't like that he didn't... Fe- watching Tanner Byvey pitch, I didn't feel that he was in command of every at-bat. I felt that he was struggling a ton to figure out what was working and to just make things happen. Changeup was elevated so much. Oh my gosh, I cannot tell you enough of how much it pained me watching him throw changeups. And I'm like, dude, if he can just get that down, but he can't. And this is the reason why I'm not a fan of Tanner Bybee. I think it's too much of an ask to say that Bybee's going to put it together and develop that rhythm. I, It's something that I, I talk about a lot. How often is the guy battling himself versus the batter? I think Bybee battled himself so much. And he needed a 95th percentile homer five ball rate and a 91st percentile left on base rate to be able to look as good as he did. So... I'm a little scared about it. I'm a little, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are going to be super in on Taranabibi when it's a slider that can be very good, but really wasn't truly elite this past year. A changeup that had really good CSW marks, I mean, 36% is wild to me, Um, but he hung it a lot. And I feel like this is not going to have nearly as good of the results next year than he will. that he he did this year. And his fastball was not like a high strike pitch. 29th percentile strike rate at just 63% for a pitch he throws about half the time, which means that that 50th percentile walk rate, 7.7, I felt like should have been higher. He's not an efficient pitcher. It all felt way better than it should be for Bybee, especially watching these games. So I'm kind of out on that. While Gavin Williams was volatile in his own way, but it has a stronger foundation, I think, when it comes to that four-seamer. I think the four-seamer is just going to get better next year. Um, it was a major thing coming up for him. It has a better profile than ba- Bybee's does. It had an, a 12% uh, swing strike rate. I think he's just going to go up next year. Um, and then the slider and curveball. The slider kind of was wild at times, but then when got it located well, he was amazing that curveball... 50% strike rate. And that really shocked me because the games that Williams is cruising, he is just locked in with that pitch. So I think there's actually more of a uh, petri dish here for Williams to culture a wonderful <laughs> arsenal and for dominance next year than Bybee does. Bybee, I feel like, has too much polish to do with everything. And Gavin Williams, it's more about little tweaks. So I, I kind of believe more in Gavin, but. I ranked Bybee above because oftentimes I'm not right about this stuff. And sometimes I need to say, like, the results were this, Nick, and that. And I need to bake in the fact that Bybee did do what he just did. And did so with a walk rate that was three points better than Gavin Williams's. So I said, you know what? Fine. Uh, I'll I'll, I'll go with Tanner Bybee there. But if you really wanted me to say, like, Nick, this guy is an SP1 now. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's probably Gavin Williams'.
0: And that's why I... I have Gavin Williams higher. I mean, I in my head, um, they're guys yeah. that I have not yet gotten to in my top forty-five, and will potentially again push them in. Um, you know, I have some guys in the the low forties that maybe are there on name value, and I need to kind of like dig in a little more. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I I like everything you said. I, I lean Gavin Williams as well. I want to leave time for us to discuss the final pitcher, um, because. You have him. Uh, it is, it's a start of a brand new tier. You have him 40. I have him 29th. Oh, dear. So oh, no. let's talk about who your starting pitcher 40 is and, and what tier, or what are we calling his tier? What World Series moment is his tier?
1: Yeah, so this World Series moment, I had it before and I completely forgot. I did David Freeze before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, oh, yeah, this is, the, uh, this is the Cliff League catching the pop-up uh in 2009 tier because it's like it's confident that it, it will go in the glove you know but it's not a strikeout you know it's not a game-changing home run or something it's a, it's a confident out <laughs> love it and uh, that's what this tier is of like cool all right all these guys i'm not gonna drop but uh it doesn't mean that i'm like pumping my fists in the air that uh this happened in this game um, for the final result and so Max Scherzer I imagine a lot of people are like come on Nick this is ridiculous well Max Scherzer was a guy who told us he was pitching hurt in like June or May he said that he was in pain and going through it and when it comes to his command and his stuff I think he just got worse and we're seeing the degradation in front of us and I do very much grasp 112 whip was 28th among all starting pitchers 20% strikeout rate was 19th even the innings was still 52nd and that's really cool but, man, I just, I think it's coming. I think, like, the, the drop-off is pretty much here. Uh, and for us to just kind of ignore it because, hey, it's Max Scherzer. It's fine. I, 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 I'm I terrified about it. Um, but, I mean, at 40, I'm still saying, yeah, you can draft him on your team and it's you're going to be fine. I think the best years are behind him. I know that seems obvious, but. I'm going to be drafting him like so while everyone mm-hmm. else is, as you said before, trending in the opposite direction. Uh, I'm just not gonna be the one with Max Scherzer, who likely I wouldn't be surprised if he had a striker rate underneath 25% next year. I actually kind of expect that. I think the 370 3-7 ERA, 3770 RA, which obviously, of course, the last two starts included a seven-earned run game uh against Houston and then obviously depressed it. I think we're gonna see that. Be that or worse, I think we're not going to see 150 innings from him. And I just kind of sat there and thought, you know what? I'd rather just not deal with this. So yeah. I put him into tier five.
0: I hear that. Um, I have him SP29, which I think obvious, makes it pretty obvious that he's on that like SP23 border for you and your in your fantasy team, which to me I think is still a huge downgrade from where people were drafting Scherzer coming into this year. I think it's baking in. A lot of the risk, acknowledging as you said that like he's still probably like a 150 inning pitcher, even with those injury concerns. That's what he's he's given us. Um, and 150 innings, as we discussed with the the guys at the top, is is not like oh my god, that's so far below everybody else. Um, right. You already mentioned um, the strikeout rate. You know the 20 point. Um, where is it? Here is him. The twenty point eight percent strikeout minus walk rate, um, which is you know pretty elite. Um, uh, the you know three seventy seven ERA, but the the three twenty six xFIP, uh, good good WHIP, um, still a really song a, a strong thirteen point three percent swing strike rate, um, you know which is basically on par with what Hunter Green did this year, who had thirteen point four. So like just as a comparison, if you're thinking about like swing and miss type pitchers uh better than justin Steele, better than dylan cease you know better than like a lot of the guys we've talked about earlier bobby miller so there, there's still solid value there and then i also bake in like you know prior to my job at, at nbc sports i was working at am new york and i was covering a lot of mets games and i was in the locker room for some of those interviews and like max scherzer is very open about I don't have the velocity I used to have. I need to mix and match pitches. Sequencing is really important for me at this stage of my career. And I just think like you're getting a, a hall of fame pitcher who acknowledges the, the part of the, his career that he's in and is actively trying to fix up and tweak his arsenal to make the most of his physical changes. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're going to see a slightly better... I think you're going to see a better year next year than you did this year. And I understand that there's wishful thinking in that because you're saying, okay, here's a competitive guy who's always been great, who is going to head into this offseason thinking about what he can do to maximize his ability for his final one, two seasons, who knows what he believes he has left, um, and pitch... you know. Effectively, I'm I'm thinking like a three five ERA or three four something like that. I'm not, I'm not talking about good old Max like two five ERA Scherzer. Yeah, sure. To me, that's as much wishful thinking as it is to say, oh, you know, Logan Gilbert's going to find a good secondary pitch and he's going to be, you know, a top twenty arm. Um, I understand that it's something we're saying I'm saying could happen without. it having happened this year, but I've seen the groundwork for those changes happening. And so I believe those changes are going to happen. And so, yeah. Are you getting 30% strikeout rate Max Scherzer? No, but I think, you know, you're still going to get a guy who maybe has 170 strikeouts on the year with solid ratios. Um, And I still think that's a solid, floor pitcher who like maybe i bumped down a couple spots into the low 30s and so if you're like if max scherzer is your you know your high-end sp3 like i th- i think you're loving that in my yeah, opinion
1: so um a couple quick notes uh one i mean I, logan gilbert i'm sure you regretted because you know that he already found his secondary i uh, um, yes i was just i, I knew yes. you instantly you were saying that i was, uh, <laughs> just thought that was a funny thing i'm giving you the because well, i know exactly the point that you made was yes and um, we had talked about how he's logan gilbert know, we did
0: talk um when we did his ranking about how he was struggling to find the second right and then he right exactly and then we talked note. about you know uh, Bryce Miller trying to locate one. Right in. there, you All go. There. There are too many um, so Mariners pitchers we've discussed. Scherzer there.
1: had 170. I think it was 172 strikeouts this year.
0: 174. Um, 174. And it was 173 so, last year.
1: So that's with a 28% K rate across 153 innings. And I'm I'm I, what I see here is a guy trending down um, across the board. I mean everything is just trending in the wrong direction, and the story is pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Of a guy who is getting older, who is throwing worse pitches, who is dealing with injuries. And I understand the thought process of, okay, cool, this is my last hurrah. I have to muster everything and like figure it out. That to me just doesn't, that it's either that side of the story or the story of like, yeah, he's just going to continue to degrade in this way. His uh, home runs are still very much a problem. His CSW dropped dramatically. His swing strike rate dropped dramatically. His uh, striker rate fell. His walk rate went up. The hip per nine went up. I mean, everything is just showcasing like this is not a guy to, you know, who's going to then recuperate, um, in my view. And that said, I might be finding myself because I like to group guys. That's just kind of what I do with these. Yeah, I might be having. You know, I already said I'm pushing down McKenzie. I might be putting Scherzer ahead of by being Gavin Williams or so, maybe above Kodai Senga. It's like the 35 or something. I mean, I feel like that's the farthest I can do with it because sure. I do at the end of the day feel, hey, it's gonna be fine having Max Scherzer. Like I'm not gonna say like, oh no, I have Max Scherzer stinks. I don't know what to do. Like no, this you're still fine. And maybe there is some security in like what that floor is more so than the other riskier ones. I'm saying inside the top 40. That Mm -hmm. I completely understand. So it's, you know, it's actually kind of funny. I made tier five. And then what I do is I jump between tier four and tier six. Right. So like Gavin Williams and Tanner Bybee and like uh, Kodai Senga is kind of jumping between them. They skip tier five because that's a totally different idea of the stable floor. I know what they are, but they're not that ceiling. Right. So that was that's kind of how I work with these rankings and why Scherzer could jump around there. I hope you're right. That's what I'll say. Yeah. I hope you're right. I'm probably going to not have Scherzer because I think a lot of people are going to draft him inside the top 25. So,
0: sure. So. And, and in, in that case, I also probably won't get him. Um, but, you know, again, I'm curious to also see what a full season uh, with the Rangers does. Um, you know, he was throwing his curveball on his cutter way more after the deadline um, and really just using five pitches a little bit more consistently, um, reducing his use of, of the four seam, which, as you mentioned, you know, had lost velocity this year and was down swinging strike rates and all of that stuff. So I'm curious to see, to me, that signals an understanding of where he's at in his career and a shift into a little bit more of a kitchen sink approach in his arsenal, which I think won't make him an, an ace anymore, but I do think may stymie some of the fall that we think that we're getting, in my opinion.
1: All right. I think that's it. I think that's it, Eric.
0: That is, that's, that's 40. We ended with a 39 year old for our 40th pitcher. It's he will be 40 thing. next year. He will be, he'll be 40 beautiful when absolutely. he's 40. Yes. Um, that's another episode <laughs> of, of on the corner. We're going to continue next week with pitchers 41 through 50. Um, obviously, if you don't yet know who those are, you can keep listening and having them unveiled to you in dramatic fashion, uh, or you can go to pitchless.com and read Nick's whole breakdown. Um, so we'll catch you next week. I'm Eric Smolsky, the Pelican. I'm Nick Pollock, the Lion. And we'll still be aging gracefully next week on On the Corner.